You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from UFOs to ghosts and government cover-ups, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Hi, I'm Ben. And this is the show about crazy things happening on your radio. It's uh, stuff they don't want you to know, ladies and gentlemen. And it looks like we've got uh, some new intro music in the mix, huh, Matt? Yeah, I'm sure that went perfectly with the music that was fading out just now. (laughs) Uh, So that's an interesting thing when we talk about the power of music and audio. And oddly enough, it's going to come up today in this episode. Man, you're good, Ben. I'm all right. I just threw that out there and you, you got it all the way around. Yeah, well... uh. Let me steal a joke from my my dad here. Uh, nine out of ten women think I'm pretty good. Problem is, I'm dating number ten. Ah, uh, oh, dad jokes. Man, I've got no segue with dads, so let's just get right into it. Ancestors, today. ancestors. There we go. Nice save, Matt. Nice save. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, as always, you know we're here with our super producer Noel to take a look at yet another thing, event, secret, or phenomenon. 
that may not be getting the coverage it deserves, right? Yes, and in this case, it's a bunch of stones in the middle of a field. A hinge, if you will. A hinge. <laughs> Some sort of hinge of stone. That's right. We are talking about Stonehenge. Now, this is something that is familiar to, I would say, the vast majority of people in the world. You've seen it. You've seen a picture of it. You've heard all kinds of crazy things about it. But what the heck is it, actually? Well, the, the best part is that we don't know for sure, but there are a lot, there are a lot of facts about it that we can point to, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of theories. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're doing today. The biggest question, like you said, what the heck is it? Well, we do know this is a prehistoric ruin in southern England near Salisbury. That's right, but we don't know who built it. Uh, but it's thought to date back to about 2800 BC and to have been designed for some kind of ritual or at least a ceremonial purpose. Or BCE, if you're, if you're one of those people starting to type the email right now. <laughs> we, we will get an email either way. Regardless of what initials you want to stamp on that time period, uh, remains of cremated human bodies have been found buried at Stonehenge, and this indicates that it may have been used as a burial ground, assuming, of course, that the people of Stonehenge knew there were bodies there. Yeah. Well, depending on... Uh, with, like if there were people using it after it had been built for mm. different purposes than when it was originally built. Oh, boy, we're going to get into all kinds of stuff here. One thing that should be noted is that Stonehenge is in itself not a unique structure. It's one of some 80 British prehistoric ruins that are characterized by this uh, large circular embankment that encloses, or at least at one point, enclosed some kind of structure. Yeah, and although the original meaning of the phrase henge is not known, that word is now used for any ruins of this type. And we have learned a little bit about how these things looked in their heyday, right? Yeah, in most of these structures of things that we call henge, um, there were, they were primarily made out of wood. Mm-hmm. But Stonehenge, which was built in three phases, uh, contained a wooden structure at least, uh, it's believed that it contained a wooden structure in its first phase, but it was eventually made up completely of stones. So they replaced the parts that were there with these giant stones, which are heavy. Yeah. Uh, how heavy, you might ask. Oh, we are glad you did. Uh, let's talk about the structure of Stonehenge in its final form, which does make me think of... Uh, Various, various things from our childhood. Uh, Stonehenge had 30 upright stones. These were each about 18 feet or five and a half meters high, seven feet, 2.1 meters thick. And they were in an outer ring that was about 30 meters across. Now only 17 of these megaliths called sarsens are now standing. The, the large stones that are one piece. Yeah, the, the vertical ones and the ones that, uh, Span the top of those sarsens. Those are called lentils. Uh, L-I-N-T-E-L-S. Lest my accent fool some of you. Uh, and these are about ten and a half foot, uh, um, stones that create that, um, almost doorway looking mm-hmm. part of Stonehenge. And then you got the blue stones, which are the smaller upright stones that are on the inside that make that inner ring. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't watched our video yet, I would recommend watching it. There are a ton of pictures of this. Mm-hmm. I, again, we're fairly certain that you're aware of what it looks like, but uh, you, you might get a better picture. Maybe if you have our video up while you're listening to this. Hey, why not? Hmm. Uh, so, And that's funny because the video is probably under five minutes, and this podcast will probably be a little bit longer. A little bit. 
Yeah, but then just keep replaying it. There right? you go. <laughs> so within Stonehenge, there was this horseshoe of five what are called trilithons, and these are two upright sarsens capped by a lentil. Uh, three of those remained standing. And at the center uh, was this horseshoe of blue stones around a pillar known as the altar stone. Oh, yes, the good old altar stone where all kinds of fun rituals could take place. Uh, some of them we just have been... Uh, fantasizing about what could have taken place there. Some of it we have an idea because of things that we found there. We're going to get into this. Sure. But the best part is there was an altar stone, Ben. If you want to have a great monolithic structure from ancient times, there's got to be a place where you can have a ritual. Do you remember that time that I became obsessed with Skyrim, Matt? Skyrim... What is that, Ben? All right. So, guys, I I have nothing against video games. I don't play them very often. But when I do, I have a very strange relationship with them because I have no sense of moderation. I was playing Star- Skyrim all the time, you know, in the mornings, the evenings. One time I left work early to play Skyrim, and I, that's nice. when I realized I had a problem. But in, I, I always think of uh, Skyrim when I hear about these prehistoric Alter stones, um, and of course, you know, Skyrim being fictional is just inspired by a lot of those structures. But it's important for us to remember across the world, things like this exist, and many of them remain utterly mysterious today. But we do know, we do know that we've been able to uh, perform some forensic stuff here, and that's why we know that outside of the Sarsen Circle at Stonehenge, there's a ring of fifty-six pits, and they're called Aubrey Holes. And they're named after John Aubrey, who investigated the Henge in the 17th century. And he found these four small stones and then this circular bank of earth that's surrounded by this ditch. Right. And two stone pillars flanked an entrance through the earth bank. Uh, One of them remains. There's an upright megalith, uh, the heel stone that's outside the entrance. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the astrology, huh? The astronomy, rather. <laughs> oh, yes. So it, let's imagine that you're standing in the center of Stonehenge, and it's the summer solstice. Mm-hmm. Now, let's imagine that you, the person listening to this, are standing in the center of Stonehenge on summer solstice. Now, that's around June 21st. It shifts around a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you're standing there, the sun is going to rise from behind this stone, the heel stone that you just mentioned. And it's going to come up over across this thing and essentially it's just going to create this amazing, almost spiritual mm-hmm. feeling just from the way the sun's going to come through these sarsens and come across that heel stone. And we can tell that it was a majestic experience. It was created inside this, if you were standing right. there. Yeah, yeah. We know it is inarguable that... Stonehenge was built by uh, someone who had knowledge of the heavens, right, mm-hmm. and the solstices, uh, and that they built Stonehenge to uh, reflect these great moments throughout the year. In the 1960s, Matt, some astronomers theorized that these Aubrey holes and some of those stones could be used to keep track of solar and lunar years to predict eclipses, which is just so amazing. I mean, ask ask yourselves if we were transported back in time and we were tasked with predicting an eclipse 
how on earth will we do it? I think that's something that escapes people's minds often about time travel. You always think, oh, if I if I went back and you know into the uh, the 1200s or even the 1800s, I'd be amazing because I know so much stuff. But do we? Yeah. Do we? Because I can't build a smartphone. Yeah. Something as simple as keeping track of the time and seasons and where the sun is. And wow, that's that's a really interesting way to look at it, Ben. So, yeah, we know that um, this has led a lot of people to believe that Stonehenge was a primitive astronomical observatory, but not everyone agrees. No, that hypothesis is disputed by a lot of archaeologists who contend that there's really no evidence to suggest the builders of Stonehenge had a lot of knowledge of or interest in astronomy. Well, but Yeah, I still think it's inarguable, though. I think it cannot be a coincidence that they just lined it up. But maybe I'm just seeing what I want to see. <sighs> Either way, somebody is seeing something that they want to see. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, that's a fair point. Uh, you're not wrong. Stonehenge didn't just start out in its current form, as we said. In its first phase, like you had mentioned earlier, Matt, it had a lot of wood components, wooden components. Stonehenge was just a few stones, wooden posts, enclosed by the circular embankment. Uh, the current theory nowadays is that this was used for religious gatherings. And then, around 2000 BC, people with slightly more advanced technology figured out how to get these blue stones there. They each... Weighed four tons. Or uh, 3,600 kilograms for everybody outside of, let's see, Namibia, Burma, and the U.S. And the crazy thing is that they were, at least in the current theory, they were floated by raft from southwestern Wales. Yeah, they were set up to form that inner circle within the embankment. And several centuries later, uh, Stonehenge's builders upped the ante and transported the sarsens, each of which weighs about 25 tons. They were brought from as far as 20 miles away and set up outside the bluestones. That That is insane to me. And that is one of the reasons people have issues with uh, the idea of humans building these things, these giant stones, right? Sure. Because if you go to ancient alien theory, some people believe that there must have been some kind of advanced technology to get these stones set up the way they are. And for what purpose, Ben? Yeah, for what purpose, Matt? Yeah, right? Uh, but we know that, of course, in the absence of concrete proof, speculation runs rampant. Uh, you'll often hear that Stonehenge is connected with the Druids somehow. Mm -hmm. Oh, Druids, totally. The classic Druid move, people are saying. Uh, but... There's really not any hard evidence that they that the Druids played a part in the construction of Stonehenge. Uh, however, we do know that a couple of ingenious modern-day humans have demonstrated methods that could be used, in theory, to build Stonehenge. And they make a pretty convincing case. Yeah, physics is pretty awesome. Mm. And if you can figure out how to use simple tools like pulleys... Levers, you can you can make some really heavy things do some pretty incredible stuff. Right. There are some great YouTube videos where you can see demonstrations of this by a couple of different sources who reach the same conclusions. But that's not the million dollar question. We've we've at this point explained uh, some of the dimensions of Stonehenge and some of the best guesses at its evolution, but. What the heck was it for? You know, why did people use it? Well, there are a lot of theories, Ben. And let's get into them right after a quick word from our sponsor. 
Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So let's get into what are the possible things Stonehenge was meant for. Yeah. So one of them is 
Some people think it was a sacred hunting ground prior to those big rocks, the Sarsens being up there. They, uh, it's believed that this was an ancient Auroch mi- uh, migration route. Aurochs are these fun looking creatures that you can hunt for meat, which is nice. I mean, you could have. You could, yeah, you're not anymore. Yeah. They are no longer existing in our world. So think of them oxen-like, you know? Okay, yeah. That's a really good way to put it. Uh, so this was a migration route, like you were saying, Matt, thousands of years before those first stones came around. There's another site about a mile away from the Wiltshire, England megaliths, uh, and it contains evidence of human occupation spanning 3,000 years, including... Thousands of those auroch bones, uh, flint tools, and evidence that they made and used fire. Nice. One of the coolest things that you can see evidence of construction at the site of Stonehenge as far back as 8,500 years or almost to 10,000 years ago. Uh, there are these, these pine posts that were sticking out of the ground that were at one time raised to create some kind of ancient structure. Right, yeah, and the archaeological evidence hints that this site was originally this ancient hunting, feasting, kind of a, uh, kind, kind of a hall. If like you a will. party hall. A party hall, a community center. And, uh, maybe the megaliths, they say, were raised to memorialize this. Um, but, of course, that is not the final word. There's another idea that's, uh, similar, but a little bit different. It's thought that maybe Stonehenge, this, huge, uh, seemingly important monument was more than just some kind of <laughs> barbecue cookout area. <laughs> um, some people believe that these were erected to celebrate peace or some type of unity gathering together in harmony with different groups coming now, together there. You know, I love it, but I don't really see the causation here because there is a correlation. The argument here is that uh, during that intense building period, which, you know, as as we've shown, Stonehenge took a long time to build. Between 3000 and 2500 B.C., the culture of the British Isles was increasingly unifying. Um, and they say that you can see this because there are more uh, similarities in regional pottery. Uh, but here's the here's the problem to me. And this is just my personal beef with it. OK, I just don't think that. A unification of a culture necessarily means that Stonehenge was built to celebrate that. Maybe it means that people were more likely to get together, but I don't think they were likely to get together to say, hey, let's let's make a monument about what good friends we are. You guys, why don't we ever make monuments about our friendships? See, I don't know enough about it, but what if all of the different Sarsons are rep- representing different tribes. Well, that'd be cool. It's kind of like the American flag, all the different, uh, you know, <laughs> all the different states and provinces. Mm-hmm. And the 13 colonies and so on. They just did it with these giant stones, which is cooler in my book. That might be, yeah. It's just, I, I guess you can't build too many because you certainly couldn't carry those rounds. Or maybe you could get a smaller version, like a mini hinge. That's how you do it. We should be we should be the marketing. Do you think guys. they had a mock hinge, like a early set up mock hinge where a bunch of guys got together and they were like, hmm, I think we need to put it here and here and they're little marbles? I wonder, you know, because it took so long to build, the previous iterations, like the wooden parts, probably existed as a model of sorts. That's um, fun. And uh boy, can you imagine they had to have some kind of planning. Can you imagine 
Uh, we always hear about ancient monuments being made with such precision and perfection and skill, but we never hear about, you know, the ones that got messed up. Because they're an Easter Island head somewhere where they got the nose wrong and they said, ugh, bury this one. Yeah, the botched monuments. Yeah, are there, where are the botched monuments? Where are the uh, ancient Machu Picchu walls that just aren't really well put together? I guess they crumbled. <laughs> the ancient subpar artists. Yeah, what happened to those guys? Oh, that. <laughs> There's a comedy sketch in there yep. somewhere. But um, it is true, as we said before, that uh, one of the big... One of the big theories for Stonehenge uh, is the astronomical calendar idea that this was where ancients would celebrate winter solstice in particular. They say this because the avenue near Stonehenge aligns with the winter solstice sunset and nearby archaeological evidence suggests that pigs were slaughtered during December and January, maybe a midwinter feast of sorts. And it's also known that the site faces the sunrise during the summer solstice and that thousands of visitors go to this site every year, even now, to celebrate that time. And here's something really cool, something a little different. Uh, so there were these two pipers playing in a field around Stonehenge, and they would have heard the uh, sound canceled out at certain spots. There's a sound illusion that might have been uh, inspired the Stonehenge builders. Uh, this comes from a presentation at the 2012 American Association for the Advancement of Sciences. So hardly uh, fringe research here. Yeah, so it's thought that perhaps these megaliths were created to augment the sound that was already naturally occurring in the site. Mm-hmm. And it's actually really interesting. The, the monument is often nicknamed the Piper Stones in England. And the legend holds that these magic pipers would lead maidens out into the field and then turn them into stones as they are today. Bizarre. Yeah, and even those who don't buy this whole sound illusion theory agree that Stonehenge has astonishing acoustic qualities uh, with the uh, cavernous echo, echo, echo. echo oh, it's really echoes. cool because it all of those different flat surfaces that it's reflecting from, depending on where you stand, you can have crazy auditory things like where uh, uh, sounds from the right will be coming in from the left side. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really cool. There's a presentation online that you can find if you search for Stonehenge uh, acoustics, I think, and model. Mm-hmm. Search for that, and you can find just really cool stuff and even uh, models online that you can look at. Mini hinges. Uh, well, sorry, not mini hinges. It's it's models of what the acoustics would be like uh-huh. if Stonehenge was the way it was, uh, I guess, originally meant to look. Okay, yeah, so we can we can picture it already. You can start to see the sights and hear the sounds that ancient people would encounter when they saw the sun go down on winter solstice during the chanting resonating from the stones, you know, the sound of uh, pigs being slaughtered or... Oh, yeah. Cremation, which brings us to the next one. The elite cemetery. We talked about this earlier before the break. The mysterious monument that may have once been a burial ground for the creme de la creme of the ancient societies. Thousands of skeletal fragments of at least 63 individuals have been exhumed from around the area with an equal proportion of men and women and children. So this is interesting because I've heard I've heard that there was uh, a debate about the proportion there. It, you'll hear some people say, well, it's primarily uh, men and very few women. Uh, so this would lead people to say, well, maybe it's the 
burial ground of warriors or something. But the thing is, these burials date to 3000 BC. And uh, as construction of the monument was getting started, archaeologists have also found some things that are usually associated with the uh, the swells of ancient society, things like incense bowls, a mace head, etc. But that is not the crazy idea yet. No, sir. I'm going to mention a name here that you know. Eric von Däniken. Ah, yes, author of Chariots of the Gods, among other things, the primary uh, advocate of ancient alien theory, even more so than that guy who shows up on History Channel. He's a gloriously exciting person to see on television. I always love it when his name pops up. I'm like, oh, yes, von Däniken. Däniken. So he thinks that uh, the creation of Stonehenge in the Neolithic period was a model of our solar system. Yes, a celestial map that was created with stones. I, It seems like it's a lot of trouble to make a map. Yeah, so here's the idea. But it is kind of permanent. Yeah, there's that too. But here's the idea. He's saying that observing the circularly positioned uh, trench surrounding Stonehenge, connecting a point that extends hundreds of meters away from the site, with an extending pathway pointing directly upon the position the sun would lie in during the summer solstice, uh, he says this represents a model of the Neolithic star system that they believe consisted of nine planets. And from this early representation of our solar system, or in von Daniken's opinion, uh, he proposed that the stone circle served as a landing pad for spaceships or an observatory for extraterrestrial activity amid the skies. Yeah, I love it. I know, man. I love it. I know, but where... Where is the other proof? You know, what uh, What would we have found if that was really happening? It's a really fun idea. I appreciate it on so many levels, but unfortunately, I can't put any weight behind that. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder if, you know, Von Daniken gets a heck of a hard time because he is often accused of just ignoring what doesn't fit. His mm-hmm. ancient alien theory, you know, and he's also been called racist uh, because the impl- the implied thing about ancient aliens uh, is that ancient people were not capable of the same ingenuity mm-hmm. as modern people. Still fascinating, though. It's mm-hmm. so much fun to think about. Oh, and here's a deep cut to one of our earliest, earliest videos. Uh, the idea of ley lines that Stonehenge is sort of a node for these electromagnetic or geomantic uh, lines of energy that crisscross the globe sort of like uh, sort of like veins in flesh. Yeah, it's like the Earth's spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. Um, again, man, I hate to... I don't oh, yeah, want to no. influence anybody either way. If you want to believe in ley lines, that's fine. Uh, there's not a lot of evidence, and it seems to be a whole lot of coincidence, but, mm-hmm. you know, maybe... Well, we do know that we do know that there have been uh, various sites around the world that have been built to line up with a solstice in that part of the world. And we do know that Earth has a magnetic field and that certain areas of that magnetic field function differently than other sure. ones. Right. Sure. Um, but I don't know if that necessarily proves the idea of ley lines. It just seems that when I go online and I look at maps of ley lines, uh, every single one is different, and every single one kind of just decides where they want them to be. I see. Uh, 
I don't know, just what I've seen. Well, I'd like to hear from uh, some listeners too to see. I, well, what yeah, they I want to. Yeah. I'd like to hear from an expert that could sit sit me down and explain to me exactly what it is because from what I found online, mm-hmm. I maybe I just don't get it. <laughs> I'm now I'm picturing uh, this conversation you'll be having with an expert, sort of like a Law and Order episode. Oh, sure, Law and Order. Colon, ley lines. Dum, 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 be like, tell me, dum, give it to me. I don't give it to me straight. Dum. I don't know. Oh wait, yes. But before we go on, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. 
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was bought it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so here's one of my favorite theories about Stonehenge, Matt. The idea that Stonehenge is a hoax. It was built in 1954, uh, and there's a, there's a great website where you can see these purported pictures of people building Stonehenge. All right, well, I guess we're done here. Yeah, that's uh, it. Solved. Yep. Uh, you guys have a great rest of your day. Uh, <laughs> find us on Twitter. Oh, no. All right. Well, okay, so how does somebody get to Stonehenge? That's one of the most exciting things to me is you can actually go there. Oh, yeah. And I think you have to make special arrangements if you want to go up and walk around Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. But, you don't want to just drive by. Yeah, but you can you can go and visit. There's this really great new, uh, I don't know exactly, it looks like a big tent structure, but mm-hmm. it's the main visitor center for the Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of uh, things that you can go look at there, objects from the past from Stonehenge. Sure, yeah. Uh, sometimes they give, they have speakers there lecture series on the history of the area. You can, if you'd like to go to Stonehenge, you can visit www.english-heritage.org.uk and you'll see where you can book the tickets. I think for adults, it's somewhere, it's a little less than 14 pounds uh, Mm -hmm. to visit. Of course, kids get a different rate and certain groups are allowed to practice spiritual rights there. Um, But yeah, yeah, you're not allowed to walk up to the Stonehenge You can't just walk up anymore. Somebody ruined it. Somebody probably went, and you know what happened? Knowing human beings, Matt, here's what happened. Someone committed a crime there, possibly. Mm-hmm. Someone urinated on a stone, definitely, because that's how people are. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe, maybe somebody said, Oh, how romantic. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's on, go have an intimate. Stone. Yeah. Let's go have an intimate encounter in Stonehenge. Yeah. And so now, because of people doing those things, they ruin the fun for everybody. But. We should point out, Matt, you and I have never been to Stonehenge, right? No, never. No. It's, it is a goal in my life. Now, Noel, you have not been to Stonehenge either, right? Nope. Nope. So even our super producer, Noel, has not been there yet. But Noel has been somewhere else. Ah, yes, and so have we, Matt. Well, I have not. You have. Oh, I thought you had went. Mm-mm. Who was that guy then? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about... The United States' own Stonehenge, the Stonehenge of the Southeast sometimes. Georgia's own Stonehenge. Mm -hmm. The Georgia Guidestones, erected in 
Elberton County, Georgia, which touts itself as the granite capital of the world under very mysterious circumstances. Oh, yes. It was commissioned by a fellow named R.C. Christian, which is, uh, we're assuming, a pseudonym. Definitely. Uh, The monument is built to convey astrological information, and it contains multilingual directives for a new world paradigm. Seriously, that's that's what it is. Yeah, it's seriously, what instructions it does. for the new world. Like if we, uh, if you look at these commandments, which are in Russian, English, Spanish, I think Mandarin, Swahili, a mm-hmm. couple other things, um, then you'll you'll read the same few directives over and over. And Matt, you and I will quickly read these off now. Uh, one, maintain humanity under five hundred million in perpetual balance with nature. Guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. Unites humanity with a new living language. Oh, I wonder which language they're talking about there. Oh, we'll, we'll figure it out. Rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Avoid petty laws and useless officials. Balance personal rights with social duties. Prize truth, beauty, love, seeking harmony with the infinite. Be not a cancer on the earth. Leave room for nature. Leave room for nature. Well, last guy kind of stuck out, huh? He was the John Hancock of that crew. But yes, this is a real place built by a group of people who referred to remain anonymous in um, Elberton, Georgia, which is not not exactly a hub of new age thinking. It uh, is a hub, though, for granite, mm-hmm, which is why they built uh, this this huge thing out of granite. And they've got a time capsule under there with uh, no date on when it should be opened. Uh, overall, this thing uh, is is huge. The four major stones are 16 feet, 4 inches high. They each weigh about a little bit less than 42,500 pounds. And we have spent a lot of time talking about this. Uh, the reason we mentioned Noel going there is because uh, Noel actually did a documentary on the Georgia Guidestones, which is fantastic. Is there any way for us to find that, Noel? Yeah, I mean, I, I, can, uh, I can put it up. Put it up for you. Will you give us, before you go, will you go on here and say how you can find it? Well, I, I don't even have it up. It's like a private video. Oh, Perfect. Well, you got to let our people know, and me too, please. Yes, and listeners, uh, we get quite a bit of email about the Georgia Guidestones. You know, every mm-hmm. every few, maybe every two weeks, somebody sends us something about the Georgia Guidestones. Mm-hmm. And we're planning to do something special there, but we want to go on site. Yeah. And we would like to... Uh, we would like to really make a good show or series with this one. Uh, so let us know if you think it's worth it for us to go up there and do a on-the-spot show about the Georgia Guidestones. Yeah, I want to analyze it. Just uh, I want to talk to as many people as possible. And now, that, I mean, Noel's already got this thing. We can use that as historical context. I'm excited. Uh, yes, so check this out because there is so much more about this, uh, about this monument that we, we haven't got to. Maybe we could do a podcast just on the Georgia Guidestones too. 
Um, there's one last thing we should do before we get out of here, Matt. Uh, are we going to do a ritual? Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, you're probably wondering why I'm wearing this robe. I mean, I was going to ask. I didn't want to offend you or anything. I am just, I am covered in pig blood under this robe, man. It's, uh. Yeah, I can smell. Yeah, well, things have got kind of crazy. But we are doing something that may become a ritual, Matt. Today, we are announcing the winner of our Facebook caption contest. Oh, we have a winner already. That's right, everybody. If you hang out with uh, Matt and Nolan, I on Facebook or Twitter at Conspiracy Stuff, then you will have already heard about our caption contest that we just sort of decided to do for uh, you know fun time. See if it see if it was worthwhile, and we got so many responses. We uh, we went through them all. And there were a lot of close calls. There's some great ones. Yeah. There are some moments of bit creepiness. Mm-hmm. Maybe I, a little uh, awkward or unnecessary. <laughs> I saw. I, I really enjoyed uh, some of these. One of my favorites was one that in all caps just said "soon." Yeah, that was pretty great. Uh, uh, but we did find a winner. We do. We have a winner, and I think it's just. I mean, he wins for me because I like the reference. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize when we were shooting that picture how similar it was to this. So I'm just going to say it, Ben. Adam Reed, you win, buddy. And what did Adam say? Adam said, you can turn back now or watch us recreate that car park scene from Highlander. So congratulations to you, Mr. Adam Reed, and thank you for playing the game uh, we thoroughly enjoyed your caption. You have the winning caption and... uh Based on how many people liked your comment, it seems that uh, Matt and I are not the only ones who agree. In fact, uh, super producer Noel and I were talking off air about this, too. And uh, I was asking him, you know, which one do you think is a favorite? So it's unanimous from the three of nice. us. Yep. Nice. So let us know if you enjoyed the capture contest, uh, if you want us to uh, take this up for another go-round. And also, uh, let us know if you have an idea for something we should cover in an upcoming episode. Now, we've covered a lot of stuff. You can check our website, StuffTheyDon'tWantYouToKnow.com, for everything we've ever done, most of everything we've ever most done. Most everything, yes. And you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. We are at Conspiracy Stuff. Noel's going to tell you a little bit more about that before we leave. But for now, if you want to get in contact with us, send us an email. We are Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this topic and other unexplained phenomena, visit youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. You can also get in touch on Twitter at the handle at conspiracy stuff. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes nearly 10 million dollars was all gone it's just unbelievable hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i'm diosa and i'm mala we are the creators of locatora radio a radiophonic novella which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast welcome to locatora radio season nine love, love at first, first listen, listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.